Hi, folks. How's everyone doing? I have a giveaway. Before you launch into hearing the lively and uh, informative interview I had with Bill Morrison, he is offering a two-book giveaway. Okay, this is how it works. The first two listeners to email me the correct answer to this question, they will win a copy of Bill's book, Lines in the Grass. Okay, so it's, it has nothing to do with math or the speed of trains. Um, you just need to listen to the podcast. The answer is right in there. So here is the question. What is the title of the great, great book written by Sun Tzu that Bill refers to in the podcast? Whoever answers that correct that question correctly will win a free copy of Bill's book, Lions in the Grass. You need to email me the answer. My email is Joanna J O A N N A at J for Joanna, C for Cindy, V for Victor, artstudio.net. I'll say that again. Joanna at jcvartstudio.net. And the question is, what is the title of the great, great book written by Sun Tzu that Bill refers to in the podcast? It is around the 37-minute mark. Okay, so... I'm looking forward to hearing your answers and have fun and enjoy our discussion. Well, let's talk about um, Random House. Let's talk about uh, representation by Random House. Let's talk about the big marketing machine. Yeah. So great, great book, probably presented by Random House, um, is Sun Tzu, The Art of War. I mentioned this in yeah. Grass. It, it's, I, I read a Forbes magazine article a long time ago and it interviewed the top 500 CEOs and they, you know, most of them said Sun Tzu, The Art of War. And I thought, well, huh, maybe I'll look that book up. And I read it. It's just stories. And it's stories that we kind of already know, but it's all written 2500 BC by an ancient warrior, Sun Tzu. And there's takeaways from it. And I know it's, it's, it's military and it's, it's battle language, but there's takeaways from it. And the biggest thing that I took away is if you're small, be small. Okay. Be nimble, be quick. If you're big, show your size. Okay. You can't be small. So what is it that you are that Random House is not? Hello there, my fellow sophisticated creatives. Welcome to JCV Art Studio from the dressing room. Ozzy is in the studio with me. We create this podcast on the traditional territories of the Ha-Lut First Nations. Now, I got to give you a little bit of a, a brief, just letting you know about Ozzy. Um, I had to take him to the vet on Saturday, but he's doing okay. 
he's growing older and we learned he has a fat pad. So sadly, I guess he's put on COVID-15, little Aussie, but he's okay. And the vet told me I just have to keep running with him. So anyways, but I, since people have asked, he's doing okay. Today, I have award-winning author and consultant, Bill Morrison on the podcast. Bill is the author of Lions in the Grass. It was a number one Amazon bestseller. He has appeared on the CTV morning show talking about the tricks of professional persuaders. That was their headline. And he is a consultant in the field of emotional positioning and consumer behavior. He has spent the last 25 years uncovering the elements of influence and persuasion that impact human motivation. After two decades of unprecedented success in condominium tower marketing, he now consults with corporations, brands, and individuals on how to emotionally connect their audience with their offerings. Bill, welcome and congratulations on Lions in the Grass being the 2020 Canadian Book Club Award winner. Very good. Well, thank you for that. And thank you for that wonderful intro. That's awesome. Uh, those are some some nice things to be to be said and nice things to hear. Uh, but before we go any further, um, I love the name Ozzy. I love it. <laughs> Ours is Louie, the big hairy beast. And uh, I, I always wonder when I hear people's dogs' names now, if we'll ever go back to things like Rover and Spot, because it's always it's, it's human names now because they are such a part of the family. So, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Just wanted to say, say that. So okay, well, hopefully he'll he'll behave, and I haven't insulted him, telling everybody that he's getting fat. <laughs> right? Well, now I know what I have. It's fat pads. Um, thank you for that. I don't need to see the vet or the doctor. And now I know what it is. So. <laughs> so your book is dynamite. I I was reading this. Just it's easy to read. It's you read it and you have these aha moments. Okay. Now it's, it says on the cover, a marketing insider's guide and how you write the examples. I have post-its all over the place in my book and you write about the why in marketing, what works, what doesn't. And um, like I said, when I was, we were taking Ozzy to the vet my husband, you know, my husband's driving and he's telling me, he says he saw a commercial and it said it was about the Honda trucks and the big trucks. And they came out with that experts are saying this was part of the whole commercial that 95% of people who buy big trucks are buying trucks too big and that they won't use all its functions. And he's paraphrasing the ad. And as I'm listening, I, li- I literally, I went, oh, and he, he's looking at me like, what's the problem? And I went, okay, no, no, keep going. And I said, I think that's the devil. And he's, he's then looking at me thinking, okay, what is Joe talking about? So I said, keep telling me about this ad, compa- ad campaign. And I had finished your book and it's funny, it's engaging, it's heartwarming. Um, 
It's not dry as dirt. It's not like a securities regulation with formulas in it. And I really, I never recommend a book on my podcast, but I do, I will recommend Lions in the Grass because it just, like I say, these aha moments. And so, yeah, tell me, was I right? Was, did, when my spouse was talking to me about the truck campaign? Well, the truck campaign, it's hard for me not to take that personally because I drive a big truck. Um, <laughs> and, and maybe, you know, if you want to just jump right in right there, this is, a, this is awesome because it's, it's so personal and I can relate to it from both the consumer side plus the, the marketing side and look on both sides. Mm-hmm. Uh, we purchase, whether it's a big truck or we purchase anything, we do it emotionally, yeah. we make our decisions emotionally, and then we cover them up with rationalization. Okay. And this is a self-delusion that, that the scientists refer to all the time. It's our decision process. It's how we do these things. It's how we, we guide ourselves. Uh, we just don't want to be known as irrational. I, I have a uh, 17-year-old that is now six foot two. Oh, wow. Yes, eating everything. Now, <laughs> the good news is, is I finally, well, at least I think I do. I think I look cool in my hand-me-ups because I've got cool shoes now, or as the kids say, cool kicks. <laughs> uh, and, you know, the bad news is, is he didn't fit in our other Toyota, which was a Toyota Tacoma. Okay. Now, the Tacoma, awesome little truck, um, but it had a small engine, and didn't have off-road capabilities like this one, didn't have the clearance, had sort of a, a small towing capacity. And, you know, with a six foot two monster that's growing by the second and plus the rest of the family, when the four of us got into the truck, we simply just couldn't drive anywhere comfortably. So that's my rationalized answer. But that is BS. Okay. The truth is, oh, is that Aussie? Yeah. <laughs> oh, Aussie. Howdy, who's just recommending that, you, you know, talk more about what's really true and what's BS, Bill. Um, so what it is, is, is is I don't actually spend these massive amounts of time in the truck with the the entire family. Uh, On the trips that we do go with all four of us, I am sure for the few minutes when we go back and forth, Will, my son, could sit sort of open-legged without too much problem. Uh, I don't tend to have big towing needs. All I tow around are, you know, guilt and credit card debt. I don't tend to tow around a lot of things. So... Why did I buy the big truck with the clearance? If I'm really honest and I have to peel it right back, I bought it because I was tired of driving a baby truck. I was tired of being the smallest truck in the parking lot. I was tired of being the smallest truck at the light. Now, that is incredibly honest, incredibly vulnerable and incredibly open. And even saying it, I sound like, what a piece of, you know, that's worthlessness right there. Uh, self-centered, narcissistic, all the rest of the things. But the truth is, I'm, I'm just saying this from an open point of view because the rationalization came in afterwards and covered up the tracks. So when I hear about the Honda yeah. and the experts saying we have functionality yeah. and we have practical rationale, and this is what people purchase on. I love it because I know it's incorrect. <laughs> we put things into our objects so that they can emotionally connect with our audience. Okay. The big truck story that I just told you doesn't hurt anyone. The fact that I needed a big truck to make myself feel better about me. The truth is 
it's okay yeah. until I go to sell it. And when I go to sell it, if the next buyer comes in and they're already pre-focused on buying this particular truck, that's not a problem. They'll buy it. They'll make their own decisions. They'll rationalize. They'll emotionalize. They'll do it on their own. But if I want to reach a big audience, and this is what the book's about, then I must think wider. I must think more emotional. And I must talk about the fact that this big truck is what you want to be in when you're driving on the streets. I must relate on an emotional component. And it's the same thing whether we're selling celery sticks or hockey sticks or anything. It's we need to connect on an emotional level and then let people rationalize rather than connect on a rational level and miss the emotion of it all. Okay. Okay. And Ikea. Oh my God. They are nailing me because <laughs> to the point, their latest commercial where they show the people on their own little like planets, their own little worlds, and they have that little jingle. I mean, I love that commercial. And it's to me, it's connected with the creative, the creative person I am. And just, oh, we're in our own little worlds doing our creations. And it's so bad. I woke up one morning and I had the jingle in my head first uh -huh. thing in the morning. And I thought, okay, this is bad. Okay. <laughs> really, really, yes. Well, okay. As, yeah. as I mentioned in the book that, that IKEA is, is, I'm sure it's Swedish for garage sale. Because <laughs> that is the, that's the truth. Have you ever moved one of those cabinets? No. Well, two, two moves and there, nothing works anymore. Yeah. That said, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting about the emotional component in marketing. And, and if, if you think about that, that was a television commercial you're referring to. And how long was the commercial? 30 seconds? Yeah. Okay. So, and you were watching some unrelated show. Yeah. I would imagine it wasn't an emotional show. It was to show, it was some filler. It was just coming at you entertaining, et cetera, et cetera, or educating. But the point was, it wasn't about the need for furniture and population and, but Within 30 seconds, Ikea and the persuaders and the lions in the grass have gone and connected with you emotionally. Yeah. It is not difficult to connect emotionally when you present. We just don't realize it. We're all born with this ability to persuade. We're all born with this ability. It just needs to be honed and then identified and then you can see it coming in and you can use it in your own marketing. Okay. Okay, then. So I want to touch upon an example in your book. Okay. And people, Lines in the Grass, it's 274 pages and it, every word is, is you got to, yeah, you got to read it. And um, writing the questions for this podcast was hard because there was so much I wanted to talk about and we have only so much time. So I'm going to start with the preface. <laughs> okay. okay. Yeah, let's start there. Let's start at the beginning. So I read it and I thought to myself, I'm not selling condos. I have a book launch happening in the fall. And the example you have, any author would love to have 900 people waiting outside to buy 300 books, or in your case, 300 condos. Mm -hmm. 
you are, you say here, you are crushed against the back wall by this human tide. Mm -hmm. And with every soul sticker you placed on the, you say, a massive availability board, the crowd's anxiety grew. You write, demand eclipsed availability, fear of loss replaced rational thinking, competition eliminated common sense. So can you enlighten us about this experience? And was this the time the man flipped out because you ran out of hot dogs? <laughs> uh, well, let's go to the hot dog story first, because it's an interesting story, very true story. Uh, but I did, I did soften it a bit for the book, because okay. the truth is that it was a different lineup and a different sellout and a different, uh, and a different event. But the man was in line uh, probably for two hours and then didn't end up getting a condominium. Uh, now, standing in that lineup is very intense. Yeah. And as a marketer, you really never really know what you're going to get as a result in a turnout. So it's impossible to gauge how many people are in the line, how many condominiums you're going to sell in the day, and how many hot dogs, for that matter, to, to stock. Um, so we had enough hot dogs, what we thought and, and what I thought, but we didn't. Now, a rational human being would not call someone an effing a-hole for, yeah, that's what it was, in full blast for running out of, you know, tubes of mystery meat. I mean... <laughs> It's just a hot dog. There's no need for this. But he had experienced sense of loss. Yeah. Because as you're in any kind of a lineup, any kind of a group, and there's a group think that goes on, and you're watching uh, a repetitive action and a repetitive emotion by the people that are in front of you, whether they're buying or elated that they bought or disappointed that they didn't, this is very, very powerful in the creation of urgency. Uh, if you've been to an auction, you know exactly what I mean. It, it, you know, you have to sit on your hands. Are you going to come home with a, you know, a picture of a giraffe and a, a glass chess set that you don't need or whatever, you know, coffee mugs or something that you're buying and you think, why did I buy this? The point being is the emotion takes over. Yeah. And that's what happened to this gentleman. Uh, I'm sure when he got home, he calmed down and thought, I just snapped on someone because of hot dogs. Uh, the truth is, it was an emotional day. And this is where, uh, you know, I was striving to get to is create an emotion, and then to make sure that this emotion delivered a result that was important for our client, my client. Um, whatever you're selling, think about this in terms of what are the emotion? Let's, let's, let's think about your book for a moment. Mm -hmm. If, if we were going to talk about your book. And I said, you know, what is, uh, Joe, what's the uh, IBM or what's the IBM number? And, and can you tell me the, uh, the number of colors you're using on your, co on your cover, et cetera, et cetera. Th these things would be factual detail and, you know, <laughs> fun to fall asleep. But if you can explain to me the potential buyer, the potential purchaser, your potential reader, your client, if you can explain to me what I will receive as I'm an emotional benefit of this. Maybe it's just escapism. Maybe it's education. Maybe it's a combination of both. Whatever that is, if you can present it to me in an emotional way, I, uh, I, for the, the risk of running along, I'll just give a short example here. Um, you, you, you're, you're, you need an operation, let's just say. 
And you're going to see two doctors get two different opinions. And let's just say both doctors are exactly the same, educated, great doctors, super successful, and you can choose A or B, but you kind of want a second opinion. First doctor is the features doctor. And you walk in and the features doctor says, well, Joanne, what I'm going to do is I'm going to split your stem to stern. I'm going to get the rib separators. I'm going to open you up and I'm going to go in and move all the organs around. And then I'm going to sew you back up, you know, yuck. Okay, <laughs> thank you for the features. And then you go see the benefits doctor, the emotional benefits doctor. And he, this doctor says to you, she says, so Joanne, before you had this illness that we're going to fix here in a moment, and I fixed lots of these. <laughs> there's there's Ozzy nice. Um, Ozzy, I'm in the middle of a story for crying out loud. Um, so if, if the emotional doctor says, if the emotional doctor says, okay, Joanne, you used to do what? What did it, what is it that you used to love? And you say maybe, oh, I used to, I used to dance. I, I was a fantastic dancer, but now because of this, I can't dance anymore. Well, let me assure you that everything that you love about dancing is going to return to you. And actually you're probably going to be better because once you're finished with the operation, you're going to be able to dance like you used to do because this, was, this problem was in the way. We're gonna fix that issue and you're going to be happy able to have the same happiness from dancing that you had before. So there's your emotional, your doctor and your feature doctor. And if they're exactly the same, the rib separation and the things and the organs and the, so yuck. Yeah. So, and that's really the differentiator. And if you're going to be presenting your story, focus on what it is that you're emotionally delivering and that your, your reader is going to get rather than the details. Yeah. Happens. Because I've forgotten about the rib separation. I'm thinking, okay, you said dancer. I'm thinking, oh man, I'll be able to do fitness like when I was a fitness instructor. Yeah. Yeah, well, there you go. Yeah. Back to okay. it. Yeah. Okay. So what was that like? I'm just thinking now um, that that condo experience when you had mm -hmm. all those people come in, like you had created an emotion then. Um, was it like a fear of loss? This is certainly a large part of it. Um, fear of loss is is something that that is a big, strong, powerful emotion. Uh, and and the book talks about condominium um, results, but it also talks about the reason why these basic emotions work in everything. Again, celery sticks to hockey sticks. It 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 is the same process, whether it's condominium sales or whether it's book sales or whether it's car sales or, or, or just getting your kids to eat their veggies, <laughs> the emotional component of it, this is where we want to, where we want to live. Um, the fear of loss is one of the emotions that, that happens. The fear of loss, uh, especially, I mean, look at a, a boxing day sale or a, or a Black Friday event, something of that nature. You know, we're, we're really going to see um, when when groups get together, uh, group think takes over and we see a lot of um, individuals replace their personal thinking with that of the group. And so fear of loss, if the group feels fear of loss, then your individuals are going to feel fear of loss for sure. Okay, okay. So you say in the book that marketers and advertisers are getting smarter the consumer, not necessarily, but the consumer is harder to reach. And I, I agree with that. And you mentioned how we skip commercials 
And I'm just as guilty. My hand is hovered over the mouse waiting for the that little thing that says you can skip this ad in four, three, two, right? So, okay. I have a lot of authors who follow this podcast. Awesome. Okay. So we're all, we're trying to sell our books. And there, there are so many... I feel at times so many advertisements out there. Facebook is saying advertise with us. You know, um, you have BookBob, you have all these different book places saying advertise. Now, I'm thinking with all that's out there, we need to be razor focused, clear on the message to try to cut through that sea of advertisements to grab the attention of the reader using emotion. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Okay. Now, and you are adamant that if we tap into emotion, we can sell anything. Sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. And we can change how people feel, but not how they think. So in the later chapters, you talk about emotional branding. And I was wondering if you could give us an example of emotional branding. I use a lot of... Uh personal stories in the book. Uh, and, but I also mix in some big examples yeah. so that it's, it's easier for, for the reader to, to follow along because um, it's, it's not everyone has wanted to buy a condominium, um, but everybody knows about Kellogg's. Yeah. And, and I really, I, I, it's a great example um, to express the difference between emotional branding and product branding. So if we think about Kellogg's, Kellogg's Raisin Bran is a really good example uh, because their branding is about two scoops of raisins. Now we all know the jingle. We all know uh, about Kellogg's and and I think they sell 39 million boxes of Raisin Bran a year. So you you could say that's that's a fantastic success. We know about the jingle. So therefore the marketing is successful. It is successful, but it's expensive. Okay. Now, what happens if I'm Kellogg's and I have two scoops of raisins in every box and Joanna, you say, well, I happen to be uh, someone that knows a little bit about raisins and I'm going to put together the exact same product, flavor, taste, look, feel, but I'm gonna have four scoops of raisins in my packages. And they're gonna be organic. And, <laughs> organic. and they're going to be organic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Raised by, you know, um, my Tibetan monks that, uh, yeah, that picked the grapes and dried them. Yes. <laughs> the, point, the point being is you have this advantage. So if we, if we, and that would be more of the emotional component, but if we just think about that, if you went at them nose to nose, toes to toes, and you said, I am going to compete on a factual feature based, I can beat them because I have four scoops. They have two scoops. What if I did it on price? What if my four scoops were less than their two scoops? You know, if you're a fruit and brand fan, would you not try the four scoops? And what if it tasted pretty good? And what if there was free samples and and you tried it and you thought, this is really good. This four scoops, it's better than the two scoops. Therefore, I'm going to win. Facts and details, we can compare. Okay. But emotions, we cannot. Okay. 
So if you had a favorite cereal as a child, let's say, and this, this part isn't in the book, but if you had a favorite cereal as a child, maybe you, you liked honeycomb or, or something of that nature, and we start talking about, not about the overpowering amount of sugar that's in honeycomb, but we talked about the fact that you were at your kitchen table and you're sleepy eyed and you're reading the, the box. And we go back into that emotional component about how you grew up with, with honeycomb and it's worth trying again. And then we give you rational reasons for that that help out a little bit, but we talk about the emotions of the connection that you had with your favorite cereal. Now that's an emotion that how can, how can another cereal company compete with that? They could be roughly the same regardless of whatever they use for emotion, but they cannot compete with it on a detail. Whereas your four scoops versus my two scoops, well, you win hands down. It's okay. an easy comparison. So details actually detract. Emotion attracts. Okay. 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 And thinking about the branding, mm -hmm. you use an example in your book about Kia and their cars. Oh, yeah. And again, it was, I was reading your book and I looked at my husband and I said, do you remember the Kia commercials with the hamsters? And he went, yeah, you know, and he goes, and didn't after he goes, they had them when they were like in a wrap. And I went, yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. So well, something might be perfectly correct there. If, if it was an older commercial and that came out in, you know, almost 10 years ago, the original one. And uh, that particular commercial launched Kia into third place in their category. I mean, that's a little car company from Korea that was competing against Ford, excuse me, and Chevrolet and these big, powerful monsters. And they did it with emotion. Now they did it with a reverse emotion, but they still used emotion. They, they went and said, you're not that. And if you remember the commercials, they had the, they had the rodents on the wheels and they were at the stoplights and the rodents were just rolling on the wheels, looking over at these really cool hip hop hamsters that were in, you know, in their, their soul Kia. And now I love the commercial, yeah. um, but I'd, I'd have to say, I mean, if we're really being honest, I'd have to say that, you know, the Kia soul isn't really the coolest looking vehicle. <laughs> if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. If there's some kind of hip hop, crazy dude i'm sure after you sell your first platinum record you're not racing to the store to buy yourself a kia soul right? <laughs> uh, you know i mean cool awesome but but not number one yeah right? yet they use this emotion of you know you're easier either this or that and you're not that and they showed the competitors in cardboard boxes and washing machines and square things that had no heart no soul the kia had soul and this is what they, they spoke to their their client their audience they knew who they were and they said what emotions do they have they want to be different they don't want to be like the, the rest of the population this is how we're going to present to them wow that's brilliant yeah it's very interesting isn't it it's just amazing how that and you recognize that and remember it that's a powerful powerful commercial yeah yeah wow okay so, as an author, thinking about marketing, okay. <laughs> there are days with my marketing attempts, I literally feel like a humpback whale breaching water, okay? It's like, great idea, <laughs> okay? <Yeah>. So, <laughs> and the examples you have are great. The Jay Leno story 
was great. The candle story was great. And you have a heading in your book, details versus emotions in story selling. You say all purchases are emotion-driven decisions valid by details or logic, okay? So what blew me away when I read that was I thought I am an author, I can write a story. So, and all my other authors, it is ingrained in, ingrained in us. Mm-hmm. Catchy first sentence, gripping back blurb, you know, professional co- cover, you know, attention grabbing, punchy, punchy, punchy. And I thought we should be approaching our marketing like we are telling a story. So should we, like when we go to market, start thinking about a story with our marketing instead of, I don't don't know, like like you you see the headlines, you know, like award-winning author, you know, blah, blah, blah. So get into the, the story of our marketing. I think the concept of telling the story is 100% correct. I think the only twist I would add to that is considering your reader and what you want your reader to feel. If you want your reader to think that you're a successful author, then being a, a bestseller or winning an award, that kind of thing, those are, those are really important. But again, thinking versus feeling. We want to focus on the feeling. We want to think about what it is our audience, our target audience, what do we want them to feel? So as a really good example, um, let's, let me rephrase that. As an example that I can explain because it's personal, I can talk about lions in the grass, not as a, as a paid advertisement, but as an emotional component. Yeah. What I want out of this, and as I'm talking about this, think about your book, and maybe I can ask some questions about your book, and you can tell me about the emotional components that it's going to deliver. So my book, Lions in the Grass, <clears throat> The Marketing Insider's Guide to Mass Persuasion and Why You Want the Shit That You Want. Okay, what I want my readers to feel is power. Yeah. I want them to feel empowered with the understanding of why they make these decisions, what's truly behind it, so that they can, A, use it to achieve better things for themselves, and B, know when it's being used against them so that they can make an honest decision without emotion involved, and then look at the weight of that decision. And I think that by exposing the techniques that are used by professional persuaders and professional emotional manipulators, that that is presented and the emotion that I want to to present, to gift, to give is power. And that's what I want my my readers to get. And and it's, it's, it's a passion for me and it's really, really important to me and that's what I want. So now that's a, you know, fiction versus nonfiction. It's a little bit different, but almost there's some similarities there we can look at. So if if you were to explain your book to me without being the features doctor and open up my rib cage and separating that, what is it, what is it, if you were to leave me with one emotion, what would it be after I've, I've just sat down, Joanne, I'm, I'm reading your book, what's the emotion you want to leave with me? Wow, okay. Uh, 
excitement. Ah, interesting. Yeah, excitement, fear, and I want, I want the reader. This is an awesome exercise. I want the reader to wonder if Jade, my heroine, is Ooh. going to make it. Ah, okay. Yeah. So you're 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 wanting excitement. Yeah. And you want interest, and yeah. you want to leave them with wanting more. Yeah. Okay, so those are the those are the things that that are going to make up what you want to leave with your book. So okay, so we know that, and now that is bam. I'm going to set that up on the on the wall. We're not going to touch that. Now, going back to your comment about telling a story, what is the story you want to tell your reader that is connected to the excitement and to leading to what Jade is going to do? So now you don't have to come up with that right now, but this is something that that is really important if you're trying to present emotionally. Yeah. We can talk about Jade is five foot six. She wears this, she has dark hair. She, these are features we yeah. wanna talk about Jade and Jade's emotions and what's going on. If we can use that to excite and get our readers, your readers to be excited about learning about Jade yeah. and wondering about what's going to happen. Oh. <laughs> oh, 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 my God. Now my brain is just going. Sorry, about that. <laughs> Sorry not my intention. I'll go get Ozzy, bring him back in. Let's change the subject. <laughs> He's forgiven me now. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. So going a little further. Okay. Now we're, I'm an indie author. Yes. And, you know, I'm just uh, sharing some of, the I don't want to say noise some of what we are I'm hearing okay um I listen to different podcasts and so then what I'm hearing is because I don't have a name um we should be giving away our first novels in a promotion when the second novel comes out um our popularity will rise when we when we have more of a backlist and Taking a question out of your book, it was on page 164. So I'm using the, uh, an author as an example instead. In today's environment, is it possible for me to comp compete against a book publishing giant, let's say like Random House or Doubleday, who has unlimited funds? That's a tough question. Uh, <laughs> I love it though. There's a lot in that question. Okay. Um, so I'm going to uh, take off my marketing hat for a moment and yeah. just, just be open and personal and, and honest about price. Okay. Um, now, I am sure there are some marketing gurus out there that would, would disregard uh, what my comments are coming up. Uh, but I'd be hard pressed to... to, to believe that they also have written a book. Now, I don't mean it like, hey, I wrote a book, look how wonderful. Yeah. I'm talking about the, the, the two years of pain and suffering mm -hmm. and elation and frustration and where I wanna throw my computer and some days it flows and then the other end, I look back at the end of that day where it's great flow and I think, what the hell was I talking about here? Um, a yeah. little bit like the way I'm answering this question. Hold <laughs> okay. the map a bit. So let's go back into that. If you're going, and this is a personal thing, not a marketing thing. If you have a strategy that says, I'm going to write a free ebook that is going to be used as a reader magnet. 
I'm going to write a little story about Jade. And I'm going to put this backstory about Jade. And maybe we can talk about that in a second. But um, as, a, as an opportunity to generate more interest against the big Goliath penguins and random houses. But um, stick on course here for a moment. If you're going to go into the universe and you're going to present your creative work and you're going to put it out there, you know, it's, it's like you're walking naked on the street. I mean, it's, it's tough. And, and I, I don't know this from a thousand years of writing. I know this from writing one book. For me to think about giving away my book for free, I, it's, it's not marketing. This is just personal. It's, it's, it's like, it's, it's like it's, I feel this pain. Okay. You know, and, and whether or not it's, it's, it's right or wrong, I can't guide anyone on that. Mm -hmm. um, I know that uh, experts have said, go into your genre. Look at what everybody else is charging and charge in the middle. Yeah. You know, and that that sounds like fairly sound advice. It seems like sound advice. But but anytime anyone ever says, hey, go be like everybody else, way to go. It drives me nuts, right? Yeah. Okay. So about the price, I think if it's part of your strategy, yes. Okay. But if it's not part of your strategy, give it away for free. Well, I all I can say is that sounds painful to me. And I and I I don't want to entertain it, <laughs> whether I'm right or whether I'm an ostrich, I don't know. But, um, but let's talk about um, Random House. Let's talk about uh, representation by Random House. Let's talk about the big marketing machine. Yeah. So great, great book, probably presented by Random House, um, is Sun Tzu, The Art of War. I mentioned this in yeah. Grass. It, it's, I, I read a Forbes magazine article a long time ago and it interviewed the top 500 CEOs and they, you know, most of them said Sun Tzu, The Art of War. And I thought, well, huh, maybe I'll look that book up. And I read it. It's just stories and it's stories that we kind of already know, but it's all written 2500 BC by an ancient warrior, Sun Tzu. And there's takeaways from it. And I know it's, it's, it's military and it's, it's battle language, but there's takeaways from it. And the biggest thing that I took away is if you're small, be small. Okay. Be nimble, be quick. If you're big, show your size. Okay. You can't be small. So what is it that you are that Random House is not? They're big. So if you're represented by Random House, Aside from a 12% royalty, uh, but I digress. Um, aside from the fact that if your book doesn't sell very well in the first two months, you're pushed off the proverbial shelf for the shiniest next book. Aside from the fact that they have to feed their machine by shoveling books into the marketing program. Aside from the fact that they're going to go out with their size yeah. and go look at us and buy the media and go from there. They don't have personality. They don't have personal, they don't have authentic, they don't have, they don't have you. Okay. And this is really, really important. If we're just going to go at it and, and mortgage the house and spend all the money on advertising and hope it, we're just not going to be able to compete because we're small and we're trying to be big. Yeah. Don't be that. Be nimble, be quick podcasts, uh, uh, awards, uh, guest posting, other things where you can be quick and nimble and get in there. I don't see Random House, this massive billion dollar conglomerate doing guest posts. Okay. So be nimble, be quick. 
but be emotional and be authentic. Yeah. They can not because the amount of effort it takes to be emotional is singular one-on-one. You have to think about it. But if the author that is their best asset is stepping in the background while they pump money and carpet bomb people with advertisement, eh, you know, hard for them to actually pinpoint. So I guess more battle language would be, you know, be a sniper, not a bomber. <laughs> if that sounds, sounds, sounds terrible, but you know, something along the lines. But that? I know, I know you're a hockey fan. So be, there's a sniper in hockey, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess you're right. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Okay. That's really empowering. Okay. Yes. Thank you, Bill. Thank you. Okay. So we, we've kind of, I like to think of it as reach the top of the grouse grind metaphorically. I love the grouse grind. I'm doing it again once everything is kind of back to work. Yeah. So if my daughter Ashley's listening, remember you're coming on the grouse grind with mom. (laughs) So, okay. Because my husband won't do it with me anymore. Okay. (laughs) There's a story there. That's another podcast. So anyways, (laughs) let's bring it down. Let's say to the bottom, to the start of the climb. Okay. Because you talk about the devil, you talk about the angel and audience participation, that lots of like aha moments with that. Okay. And we, uh, we won't necessarily go in that order. The audience participation, I thought was brilliant. And you write about the food chain of emotions. Negativity is at the top of the food chain. And and it's, it's funny because I'm now I'm listing things and you, so I have listed emotion, create urgency, audience particip- participation, audience participation. Mm-hmm. So how I could, I can see some of the, how the housing market meets this criteria. And I was wondering if you could come up with a, another example that reflects these factors, um, emotion, urgency, audience participation. Because I find I learn better when I hear examples. That's how I've always been able to learn. Okay, okay, don't know, that's great. Um, So I want to come back to participation because it's a little different. So let's just maybe put that aside for a moment. It's also my favorite subject in the marketing world. Um, So I'm really happy to ask that. So participation, we're going to tackle next. Yeah. Okay. Let's maybe uh, stay in the real estate world for a moment, and I'll see if I can, I can conjure something up. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we just have to mentally get into the. Let's let's just you know go to a, a pretend place for a moment that not everyone's in, but it definitely we can do that easily. Is is let's say we're in the housing market. Yeah. And and it's a regular basic market. It's not crazy like it, the insanity of today. It is just your regular everyday market. And let's just say you and 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 your husband and Ozzy are 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 looking for a new home. Yeah. Okay, so you've made your decision, you're going into the market and you're out for a walk and you see a sign and the sign says open house Saturday and Sunday. You think, oh well, this looks like a very nice house. It it looks really cute. Well, let's go check it out online. You look online and you look at the photos and they're okay. They're not great, but it's just the quality. And you say, well, let's go inside on Saturday and see how it's like. So you and your husband walk up the stairs and you get to the front porch and, and you take off your shoes and, and you walk into the open house and, you, and the door opens easily. And, and there's the realtor and she's, and she's sitting at the, at the dining room table. 
and she she doesn't really get up. She doesn't look around. Uh, she's not really excited to be there. I'm just I'm just using examples here. Um, and then she hands you, you know, here's your feature sheet. Yeah. And if you have any questions, please feel free to come back and ask me, ask me any questions that you may have. You know, uh, what a tragic realtor I'm, I'm presenting here. Well, let's just say that this is the situation. You walk through the house and you look around and you go, yeah, it's just kind of nice. But I don't know. Is it, is it really for us? I, well, you know what? Let's go have a coffee yeah. and think about it. So you go away and you're, thank you very much. And then off you go and, you, and you're having a coffee and you say, yeah. You were there for like 40 minutes. No one came in. Yeah. I go, well, let's, you know what? What if we were to write an offer on this place? What, what would we offer? Let's, I'm going to pick a number. 500,000 is, is the list price, 500 grand. What, what are we going to offer on that? Well, maybe the discussion is something along the lines of, you know, it, it doesn't really have the kitchen we want or the living room needs a little more repainting. And uh, I think one of the bathrooms should be redone. So it's probably... If we really did this right, it's about $100,000 in renovations. Yeah. So tell you what, let's go back and try 400,000. Now they could say no and they can negotiate and, and we'll explain, hey, it needs all these things. This is what it is. So, okay, well, let's open house tomorrow. Let's go back and have a look. So the next day you get up, have your breakfast, you have your coffee, you're kind of a five out of 10, your anxiety is pretty flat. And you walk up to the, up to the same house and you're, you're excited to go back inside and it's open again. And you, and you get there right at noon when it opens up for the open house and you walk up to the front porch and there's 30 pairs of shoes on the front porch. Yeah. And you try the door and the door's locked. And then you look at your husband and you think, I knew it, I knew it. I knew it. We shouldn't have messed around. We shouldn't have waited. We should have, you know what? This is crazy. Actually, that we should have done something about this yesterday. And now your anxiety is six and seven and up it starts to go. And you're standing there looking at these bloody shoes, knowing that someone's inside the house and there's 30 pairs. There's, you know, there's, there's 30 people and you're just, anxiety is peaking and you knock on the door. I'll be there in a second. You hear the realtor say, and now you're in this spot where you're like if we have to pay i'm not losing this house you know if we're in competition what are we thinking about what what would we pay like honestly well this is a good value for the market so we'd pay five we'd pay full you know what we'd pay full yes but if we lose to like someone that says what if it's 10 grand over ah oh, you know what okay i'm not paying i i will pay ten thousand dollars over and that's it why don't we just go so we go inside the door opens up and the realtor is looking at you and you're anxious and you come right in and you sort of arrive and the realtor is, is like, oh, hi, hey, you guys were, you were back in yesterday. You're back from yesterday. And, and then the, uh, the realtor says, well, you know, have a look around. And you're standing there confused, trying to understand this. Like, what's, what's going on? There's nobody in here. I don't, what's happening? Yeah. And you wander upstairs and you wander into the basement and there's no people. And you come back and say to the realtor, uh, what's, uh, where's all the people? What's with the shoes? <laughs> with all the people. And, and the realtor says, well, you're the only people that have been in the last two days. Well, we just saw like 30 pairs of shoes. And the realtor goes, what? Oh, you know what? The, the, the owner is donating those shoes and you just put them out in the front porch. They're just going to get picked up. So what do you guys think of the house? So now I'm going to stop that story for a moment and go back into the run of emotions. Yeah. And how that can creates urgency and where that connects to value because the value we put on things is not 
created and connected to what the component, the object actually is. The, the house went from, in your mind's eye, in that story, $400,000, then it went over $500,000. Well, it didn't grow a garage overnight. It didn't suddenly have a better kitchen. Yeah. Emotionally, the values skyrocketed because there was a serious fear of loss. Yeah. Connected your emotion, which dictated the value and what you would pay. Okay. So the end of that story, and thank you for letting me run and make up a story about shoes. Um, the point of it is, is that without facts about these shoes, emotion took over and dictated where you went yeah. with urgency, with desire, and with, with value. Yeah. It totally controlled it. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, it's just a, something to, to think about. And maybe, um, well, yeah, anyways, go ahead and ask some more if you like. But uh... that is so true because when we sold our house in Brentwood Bay, because um, we knew we were, it's it's a long, another long story to get up to Shemanus, we had to rent. And renting in Victoria is absolutely ridiculous, just like I'm sure renting in Vancouver. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And I remember we set up the appointment we did our paperwork ahead of time mm -hmm. and we arrive and it's exactly like you said we arrive first and then more cars arrive boom boom we're not the only one they're showing this house too mm -hmm. so true and it's it was like an hour's commute of ugly commute okay yeah <laughs> to downtown work and yeah, I, I remember feeling like the don't 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 my right, and then the realtor comes and she unlocks the door and she lets us in, and I just remember it was like, not quite hysteria, but just like a hive. If everybody was like, okay, we're all going through the kitchen, we're all going through the dining room, and I just I looked at Ed and I went, I can't do this, hiss this. Yeah. we're going upstairs, right? We will look upstairs where no one is around. Mm -hmm. and so we did the opposite, but it, it's true because when we were done, I'm handing her my sheets that I filled out the pre, you know, approval. Mm -hmm. Another lady is handing her her sheets. Other people are looking like, what are they giving you? You know? So that's yeah. so true. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, uh, if we go right back you know, when we're Cro-Magna and we go back to when we're cave people and we start to think about inclusion, exclusion, and yeah. we start to think about things like how important is a threat versus how important is a reward. So for millions and millions of years, we've been programmed to act immediately upon threat. We need our adrenaline to kick in. If the bushes rustle, we need to move now. That's a threat. Now, if we see some fruit, we know we should take this because on the tree, because that's the reward. But realistically, what's more important, the threat or the reward? The threat. And this is why negative headlines work so 
so well against us and why we scroll past the positive. And so writing a headline, I, I mentioned this in the book in Lions, is that, you know, if, if you were to say uh, these top five foods that you're eating will kill you, that gets read versus these are the five best foods you can eat. That doesn't get read. But why? That's so crazy. But we are so pre-programmed to be aware of threat. Okay. We're still in survival mode. We're not going to shake that. That is in us. You can't do it for millions and millions of years of evolution and just, you know, tech your way out of it. So, we experience threat prior to, we experience loss prior to. You had not lost that home. Yeah. You hadn't owned that home or secured that home, but you were going through fear of losing it. That was very, very real. The reward of getting that place doesn't come to you until after we experience reward after we've received it, and we experience fear before it happens, okay. before that happens. And that um, is a really great component of marketing to understand. And the next level of that would be to balance the threats with reward. Okay. So, you know, um, that would be situation where you're writing the five worst foods that will kill you and what you need to know about avoiding that. And there's a reward that would be available too. Um, and then if you were really on it, you would add in a devil, which would be the five worst foods that will kill you, what you can do to avoid eating them and the people that don't want you to know about this. Yeah. <laughs> so so there's, there's, your, there's your mix of headline that is gonna hit the negative component, make you pay attention, support it with a reward and then give you a reason why you need to understand why this is important. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Anyways. That's yeah. Let's awesome. talk about, let's talk about participation. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So thinking about participation um, and, and reward, you're saying if we're promised a reward that requires our participation, huh. the reward becomes that much more valuable. Sure. And I was wondering, and I never even thought of this until I read it. You mentioned about the Betty Crocker example. Yeah. So I don't, I like food, by the way. I make lots of references to food in previous podcasts. Okay. <laughs> so if you want, you don't have to share the Betty Crocker example. Oh, no, I don't mind. But an, an example of participation. Sure. Um, okay. So the, the Betty Crocker example is, is interesting from a marketing standpoint. Um, and it's, you know, I mean, it, it, this may come across as, as a bit sexist. It's not. It's just that at that time, their target yeah. was the homemaker. Yeah. And their target was, um, we'll, just, we'll just term it as housewife, because that at the time was yeah. their target. Um, that was their target audience. That's in that particular time, in that particular role, that's who bought. That was the person who shopped, um, who made the decisions at home and provided the food for the family. So if you consider for a moment that generation after generation after generation, mom after mom after mom's mom after mom's mom's mom made cakes from scratch. Now a company is introducing a box. You pour it into a thing, add some water, put it in a 
in the oven and serve it to your family. There's a component of guilt that comes along with that. Your mom cared deeply about the cake that she made for the family and took great personal pride in that. You're emptying it out of a box. So when Betty Crocker first came out with that particular product, when the Betty Crocker cake mix came out, it didn't sell well at all. And it was a flop. And then rather than toss it, because this is a time of convenience and the time of, of change, and we're in the 50s, and they're really starting to talk about consumerism. And if you read the book, you'll see why consumerism launched in the late 40s after the war, and then just the 50s, it exploded. And part of that time was convenience and the understanding of what convenience meant. So they went to the target audience and understood after surveying them, that the guilt component was a huge emotional factor. So they took out the dehydrated egg and said, now you need to whisk in an egg and pour the water, mix it all up in a bowl. Then you put it into the, really it's the same as flour and some of the other ingredients. We've just put them together for convenience. So not only do you care about your family, you're actually making a cake which puts you on par, eliminates your guilt. And you're smarter than everybody else because it's so convenient and you care and you're showing your care. Yeah. And it just, you know, the rest of it is, is history and that uh, we all know about the cake mix. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. So with authors, yes, I see some authors, they'll have a social media campaign Okay. Where they ask their readers to post photos of themselves with their books Mm. or a scene from their book. That would be an example of audience participation. It's a really great example of inclusion. Okay. Just slightly different than participation. Because if I've already purchased the book, I didn't participate in the process. I'll talk about that in a second. What I'm doing is I'm presenting an exclusive group of people that have, and they've been included. Um, I had this really bizarre experience on Facebook. Uh, So my my birthday happens to fall on uh, Thanksgiving or some days, some months, some years it does, I should say. So I had the whole family over, in-laws and everyone, and excuse me, and then had this really fantastic birthday And I I don't tend to post on Facebook and I don't tend to do those kinds of things. But I I said, I made a post that said, I feel really thankful and and very, very full of gratitude because I'm surrounded by so many amazing people that, that were at our home for Thanksgiving and that I received so many birthday wishes from, from really good people and good friends. And I I just realized what a great group I have in my life. I received the next day even more, hey, Bill, congratulations on your birthday. Can't believe you're still alive, ha, 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 (laughs) on all the rest of things which are true. Um, And, you know, it's interesting because the next year was not a Thanksgiving weekend that was not, and it was slightly different. And I, I never posted on, on Facebook. And then I went, that's interesting. I only had one or two congratulations on still being on this side of the turf uh, <laughs> comments. And so, you know, it, and I looked at that and I thought, 
Now that's interesting. Yeah. As I presented an inclusive group of great, fantastic people, mm-hmm. other people thought, geez, I better get in that group. Okay. So by presenting your book cover with different people in a very different audience, you're giving an inclusive group. Okay. If you're not owning my book, you're excluded from this group. It's, it's an interesting process. You know, the thing about the participation would be more in line with, let's say, uh, as an example, let's see. If you were to post, say, and I've seen this, um, three different copies of potential covers. Right. And then you said, can, can you, my audience, let me know your thoughts on this. I really want to know what you think. I'm trying to design on a cover. So now you have a participation. Okay. And it's, it's a fairly thin participation, but it's still some participation. But what about, what about something like Jade? Let's look at your main character, Jade. Now you probably have a backstory yeah. on Jade and it's probably fairly robust. But what if we did? What if we did something really interesting? What if we said, this is the backstory on Jade. Yeah. And you, you and you told this and you did it for free. Yeah. There's that free word, that F word that we don't like. But you did this and you presented this and you said, here's my here's my main character, Jade. Here's what she has and, and this is what she's all about. And here's some description. Here's this backstory behind Jade. You know what would be phenomenal is if you, my readers, my audience, were to just share some stories about your life that kind of related to Jade. Could you possibly tell me about what do you think Jade would be like in high school? Would you be friends with Jade? What created Jade's personality? How did Jade become? So now you have participation. So now you have emotional connection. Now you have involvement. And then you could write a full backstory, maybe take small pieces of that uh, off that that audience participation added into the book if it fit, yeah. if it fit. And now, but you've got this backstory. Well, can you imagine readers that are involved with the creation of your main character or of your of your secondary characters or some nature of something along those lines? What kind of a brand ambassador would they be for your book? What oh. kind of a involved would they talk about your book? Would they say this is a great book? Actually, you know what? I had a little bit to do with the creation of, of aid. You know, um, so it's just a different approach, but it is one way to generate participation. Yeah. And when we have participation, I mean, you mentioned IKEA. Um, they are the absolute top of the mountain as far as participation. I mean, think about it. You, you know, like you have to go there. You have to find your own furniture. There isn't a salesperson around. <laughs> By the time you get your flat pack thing and shove it into your Volkswagen and trying to fit it out the windows and get it home and read those ridiculous <laughs> animated, and you finally get that that bookshelf that's going to end up in a garage sale. And <laughs> you've got that in your living room. It's not just cheap furniture. It truly is something you participated with. Yeah. That's so true. Know what they're doing. Participation, yeah. participation, participation, because it generates an emotional connection, which makes me more likely to, to repeat my business and to refer you, whether it's an author or, or a furniture store from Sweden. Wow. Okay. That was, oh, that's that was fun. fun. That's that was fun. fun. Yeah.
Yeah. What are you going to do about Jade? We're going to, I want to add some stuff <laughs> in about Jade. I think you're I just about, friend. You're just about ready to, to rub your, like, okay, what are we going to do to this lady? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, wow. And the thing is, listeners, you, Bill, you write like you speak. Like there is humor in this book. And that's why it is, it's a book about marketing and it's enjoyable to read. Okay. It really is. Okay. Now, naming the devil. You've mentioned this a bit. So now we should, why should we have a devil in our marketing? Because it creates that emotion. And yeah, the devil. Yeah, it creates an emotion. Um, but the, the, the devil, and, and we should just, I, I use the, the, the word the devil or the term the devil um, because I, I reference how the devil was created in Christianity and, and how originally the devil um, didn't have the nastiness that's been associated with it. In over the last 500 years, originally the, the devil was, you know, an angel that that had bad decision making ability and and maybe some um, delusion of grandeur. Um, but you know, all the pictures that are available of the devil is, you know, he looks like a a fit young man with a square jaw and good pecs. I mean, you know, like he he, he doesn't look that terrifying. Uh, and then Dante's Inferno came out. Uh, and then during that, I think the third or the fourth publication of that, they, they added in this horned, trident wielding, half beast devil. And at that time, you know, uh, you know, the, the faith got a makeover a marketing makeover, that image is so strong. If I say the devil, then immediately the horned hooves, trident, that comes to mind. That's some powerful imagery. That's yeah. not in your original books. So that said, that's why I, I refer to it as the devil. Yeah. The, the devil is, is in the term of marketing, the way I'm using it is presented as a threat. Okay. So whatever the threat is. So we can take the word devil out and just use threat if that's more comfortable. Um, the point being is this, is that if I need mass persuasion, if I need to group the population together, then we need uh, to collectively feel the same thing. You, you know, your audience, if you think about your own personal audience, it's very diverse different cultures, different ages, different beliefs, different families. There's, you got single child children, people from seven brothers and seven sisters, you know, raised different languages spoken at home. There is a very, very diverse audience out there. So if you were marketing something and you had this diverse audience that you were connecting towards and you needed that diverse audience to act in a certain way and, and you need a, you need a threat. You need a devil. So this could be a, this is a fairly pedestrian uh, example of that, but it's, it's yelling fire in the theater. Okay. There's a singular threat and it doesn't matter if you're there with your kids or you're there with your grandma or you're there just to kill an hour or whatever it is you want out of that theater. Yeah. Especially if you see people running, which is a whole other yeah. uh, component of the emotional uh, marketing. Now, uh, to that point, it's a singular threat that polarizes an audience. And, you know, um, the best people 
that I've seen the best that are best is a is a subjective term, but the best people that I've seen uh, that do this are politicians. I mean, if we think about the things that we were worried about during major elections, yeah. three and four months later, they, they don't even pop up on our radar anymore. Yeah. We could become so passionate about this. And then, you know, the media is involved in this, but I'm not going to throw stones at them. They're, they're presenting what people need to hear and they need to get, a, they need to rise above their own noise. You know, it used to be three channels and now there's 5,000 channels. So they're doing what they need to do. The point is the threat and identifying that threat and making that a common threat and an action against that threat, which just happens to be connected to if you vote for me. Yeah. Therefore, I will lead us all through this. And the other guy doesn't understand or the other candidate doesn't understand this real threat. And this has been used in not just Canadian politics, but U.S. politics. It's been used in everything. Yeah. And and all it is, is I, I just wanted to point it out because once we identify it, we can calmly look at this, pull the emotion out of it and just ask, is that true? Okay. You know, is it really foreign threats that are taking all our jobs? Is that really true? Is the world really on the brink of Armageddon? You know, I mean, I called my mom, I walked my dog, I washed my lamp, you know, I had a pretty basic Saturday. I don't know if it's Armageddon. I mean, there's no toilet paper left in the stores, but there's there's Armageddon and then there's lack of, you know, appropriate paper. Um, But anyways, that's that's the comment on, on creating a devil and the need and the necessity if you're moving large groups of a very diverse audience. Okay. Okay. So... I'm going to, I ha- I'm going to jump ahead just a bit. Sure. Because you mentioned about foreign investments, and I seriously, I would love to hear. You are a storyteller, by the way. You you are a natural storyteller, and I hope you do more writing. I really do. That's very nice of you to say. Thank you. I do. Take that. Like I say, this was a definite pleasure to read. And when I start looking at my husband during the hockey game and saying, "Hey," You got a second? Listen to this. This is during a hockey game. And he he did. You know what? He's a good man. He's a good man. A good man. That's, you can pretty much interrupt me anytime except for possibly overtime. The rest of the season, that's fine. But yeah. Playoff overtime, there's no interruptions. <laughs> <laughs> so carry on, please. Okay. So I really want to hear, like we are going to switch gears a bit because okay. I remember, and I'm just going to say it, HST. I remember HST, the whole HST fiasco. Mm. And you, that's chapter eight. And it's titled, The High Costs of Not Harnessing Emotion. And I, I, keep, I keep mentioning to people, I have to read. If you don't mind, Bill, just oh, like. Can, by the way, please. Okay. You'll help me remember. <laughs> so it's this paragraph in chapter eight, which I'd, I'd love Basically, I want you to talk to us and tell about chapter eight. So it has to do in British Columbia when HST was going to be introduced as a tax. And this one paragraph, okay, it starts. Confusion flourished and the public grew angry. The irater people became the more politicians responded with details 
like. This new HSD will save consumers a full 2%. At the same time, in what was probably an unrelated move by another government department, the tax on, tax on beer was increased by, yep, 2%. Taxing a Canadian's donuts and beer and not seeing how this would end was a miscalculation of epic proportion. For businesses, it was an economic gut punch. Okay, how, how you were in, you had major projects going on during that time. Quite a few projects and, and I also enjoy beer and donuts, which could be why there's so much fat pad going on <laughs> during COVID, um, not just for Aussie, but it, it it's, yeah, uh, yeah, that's all true. And what a cluster that was, what a mistake. And you know, what? the whole thing about the HST is that they didn't pick a devil. They just said, yeah, this is a, a taxation that will improve situations because right now we're doubling up on our taxation. So if you buy, say, a new home, uh, we've already charged tax on the tile that's on the floor. So therefore, you're actually paying twice the tax. So realistically and rationally, this is going to save you a bunch of money, but we're going to need to charge you four and a half percent on your new home. Uh that you never had to pay before. And also we're going to need to charge you on all of your restaurant meals and et cetera, et cetera. And, and then there's the, the craziness of single donut, yeah. uh, HST, uh, six donuts, no HST. Yeah. You know, like talk about promoting fat pads. Anyways, the, the, the craziness of it was so confusing. And then the more the public was, what the heck is going on the more these ridiculous statements came out with people just need to understand oh isn't that wonderful you, you're not only not explaining it you're jamming this tax grab down our throats it's just a tax grab so the population of British Columbia really took at this as whether it's a good tax or not this is a typical grab of our cash once again and they picked their own devil. And the devil was the politicians. Right down the street, a couple of provinces over, Ontario had HST as well. Their HST is higher than the British Columbia HST. They should not have had this thing pass. But what happened was they said, you know, we're losing our manufacturing jobs. We can't compete. The foreign investment is going elsewhere. We're no longer getting our, we're losing jobs because we can't compete. This HST will help us compete. Your vote for HST is a vote for manufacturing jobs, our economy. So they really connected it back in, tied it into a devil, which was someone that we don't know, which is a foreign investor, uh, some foreign factory somewhere, easy person to, to dislike, easy company to dislike. We don't know who they are. They're the great unknown. So back in BC, they kept coming at us with these details and facts and, and people just started to revolt. Yeah. The first thing that went was people stopped going to restaurants. Restaurant owners are like, really? Yeah, what? We didn't do anything. Why are you? And then after that, they said, well, we're going to add the four and a half percent on homes. So, you know, 20, 30, 40, $50,000 on new homes. So what started to happen was, and I'm only selling these brand new developments, is right next door, there's a development that's a year old. Yeah. It was before the tax. It's older than us. And yet it's getting more money for their homes than, than we are. 
And then I'm, I'm thinking, you know, that the market is going backwards. New home product is worse, was worth less and less and less. And, and I have to come up with some grandiose campaign to get around this. And the developers are all panicking and including HST in their pricing and saying, don't worry, it's included. But at that point in time, when it started to be included, Canadians were really PO'd. We were pissed off that the, excuse my language, the, 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 the British Columbia population said, you know, this is, this is, this is junk. We're not doing it. So in typical Canadian polite fashion, <laughs> we revolt by saying, no, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and we left it at that. And we didn't, you know, jump around with signs. We just said, no, no we're not going to go to the restaurants and we're not going to buy new homes. Yeah. And then the developers are panicking. At that time, I thought I, I need desperately to do something. And there's a whole big, long story about it in the book. But the end result was because the, the referendum, the vote on our HST wasn't happening for six months, but my launch was coming up right away. We just informed the press and I told the reporters and the newspapers and the televisions uh, that I'm not collecting this HST. I don't believe it. I'm not collecting it and I'm not going to remit it. I'm not going to have any part of this. Now, the press loves a little controversy because it sells their product. So by the way, if you're ever able to create some controversy about Jade and company and what she's going to be doing, controversy, 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 because that's will get you some exposure. So I said, nope, 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 to a bank of cameras and a room full of reporters, and they just ate it up Yeah, because there was no HST because they're so tired of reporting on the other side of the story. Now, the truth of the matter is, is that either the, either the developer would pull the proceeds and pay the HST, we're not gonna go to jail, yeah. we're gonna pay the taxation out of the proceeds of sales, or it would be, it would be uh, voted out, there would be no HST. And in that case, the developer wouldn't have to pay this percentage. Whereas once it was voted out, all the other developers, and I mean all of them, except for mine, had to pay back 2.2%. Okay. And this is hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. They had to pay back. My developer did not have to pay that money back. Still waiting for my Christmas card from him, but that's another story. <laughs> um, the point is, it when it we weren't, the, the market was absolutely flat for new homes. And we sold out and that was 152 homes. And I remember it distinctly because we sold 152 homes in 152 minutes and did 200 backup deals. And that was crazy. That is it was a, yeah, it was a, it was a media rocket ship yeah. uh, and people wanted to buy new homes, but were revolting against them. And finally someone said, yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah. If I, if I read in the newspaper or saw on TV, you say, no HST. I'd be like, okay, I know where I'm going. Yeah. yeah. And if you're looking at this, so it, it, it really all it was, was putting a sale up to public opinion. Yeah. And then writing the public opinion. Wow. And, you know, a little controversy never hurts. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There you go. So Bill, can you discuss with us the power of using emotional persuasion for good? rather than as it is so too often used for for not good. Yeah, for not good. Well, that is the thing about it. You know, and I start off the book 
and I talk about the word manipulation. Yeah. And it's just, that's such a, a word with a nefarious connection, right? It's so terrible, right? I mean, you don't ever say, hey, I'm going to manipulate you. Isn't that fantastic? And people go, yay, I'm being manipulated. That's wonderful. <laughs> so it's it's just such a negative. But it, but in the first pages, I, I, I say, I'm going to use the word manipulation. But yeah. it's a double-edged sword. It really is just a word. And it's yeah. how it gets used. And that's where this terrible association comes with it. So because we talk about the fact that we are all born with this instinctive ability to persuade, mm-hmm. um, let's go back into a story you told, and then I promise I'll get into the rest of the story, but a story you told about looking for that rental property. Yeah. You know, I am sure that when you went there, you dressed well, mm-hmm. you were presentable, mm-hmm. you had all your paperwork done. And you smiled at the realtor. <laughs> These are things we do in the process of persuasion. This is positive manipulation, if that, if I can take those two crazy words and marry them together for a moment. This is positive persuasion. And this is really, you know, at the end of the day, the book, I want to identify the tactics and the techniques that are used to persuade so that we can identify them when they're being used on us and make our decisions without or let's see free of emotion yeah but i also term it as creating emotional revolutionaries and and using and using this new understanding for the power of good yeah now that's just a a a way of looking at this it's not in the book there's other terms and concepts and ideas and things about why emotional manipulation can be used for the power of good you know, knowing the knowing the the techniques that are used on us uh, gives you an advantage, and really gives you an advantage to be good and use them for the power of good. And that's what I genuinely, genuinely hope comes out of the book. Okay, it it does. And I know I've kept you. Can I ask you one more question? Yeah, fire away. Okay, so. You have a heading in your book, knock, knock, why do humans react to humor? I find humor and writing is, is tough to pull off. I'm very, it's subjective. It's like art, you know, it doesn't, yeah. one person may find something funny and another not. And your book has humor in it. And I think also with humor in terms of marketing, if you can make a person laugh, does that almost like bring their guard down so they are more, ex- um, I can't think of the word, receptive to the yeah. message? Sure. Yeah? It, it, it certainly does. Uh, the example in the book and the, and, the, and the chapter on humor isn't related so much to make a funny ad people will remember. It, it's more along the lines of explaining that the way we process humor is the same way that we process marketing. Okay. So there has to be a process and, and humor, you know, if we boil it right down is a result that's unexpected that connects back to the, the original story. Um, and it's definitely, it's, Definitely subjective. So let me ask a question. Mm-hmm. When you were reading Lions in the Grass and you're talking about the humor, 
there was a couple of jokes in there that I, I retold, but really there was only one or two. And the rest of it, if there was any humor in there, it was related more to personal stories. Would yeah. you say that's correct? Yeah. And that's really important because when we're presenting, if we're presenting and we're being vulnerable and we're being authentic, and we're being honest, there's, there's a greater emotional connection. So using, and I'm not talking about self-depreciating humor. You know, I'm so, well, I, I talked about fat pads way too much, but um, that's just because it just made me laugh and I had to stick with it. Um, and my next trip to the vet, whether I bring a dog or not, I'm going to ask him about my fat pads. But, you know, the thing about it is, is that I really think that in your presentation, if you're authentic, and vulnerable and share stories yeah. about your life and, 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 and their genuine, honest, earnest stories that have some humor yeah. that you really relate to your audience. Yeah. Uh, I always find that if you're going to write, that if you can entertain and educate, yeah. And you can mix those together so you're not all education and you're not all entertainment. Those are useful, but they're separate. If we can put them together, then we can achieve a greater connection with our audience. And that's really the thing about humor. It's not so much about telling a funny joke or telling a funny story. It's about relating a funny incident and how you feel about this. Actually, it's interesting. You mentioned uh, earlier, you mentioned the Jay Leno story. And that is exactly what that's about. Is it the person that was on stage with Jay Leno told stories that were not interesting because they weren't related to her. And then after Jay Leno guided her back into the stage and helped her reach that, she started to talk about what it meant to her. And suddenly the audience was captivated. Yeah. And this is the emotional connection. If it's not, if it's not connected to you, how can it be connected to your audience? Yeah. So one of the actually hmm. humorous parts I read out loud to my spouse was your brother because he has <laughs> he's one of six boys okay so my spouse so yeah. it was your brother the slide projector oh yeah <laughs> and the buffaloes that that's funny yeah that yeah. that that was really cute you know and how it was written I could I like writing seeing like I like I always say I write in scenes but I like the visual and I could just see your father trying to swearing you know, like so a like, <laughs> yeah so yeah that, that that was one of them for sure for sure well there's some vulnerability that tells you how old I was because you know we we're you know five and six years old or whatever we were at the time and in our pjs and our onesies mm -hmm. um watching you know a, a rotating slide projector I mean this is you know, this is, I'm ancient. Right? <laughs> and so it's, uh, that was our Saturday entertainment and yeah. it was pain and suffering uh, <laughs> going through this. And we got to stay up late, so we didn't say too much, but we would go into the slide projector. One of us would, dad, what about, and he would turn and one of us would go into the projector and in the exposed part of the slide ring and flip a slide and then we'd wait and just be giggling and giggling and waiting in the anticipation and then this picture would show up upside down and oh for christ thanks well let me say what the hell's going on and dad would go off and he'd be shoving the 
the bloody fly projector would fall off the thing and then the edge would, you know, the image would go up the furniture and on the side of the wall and, and we would just be howling like this is the greatest thing we ever, you know, and it's funny, uh, dad didn't realize and we just never shared that with him uh, that that's what was going on and it just it just passed and we passed on, you know, that this on our, our humor and then we did share that with him and, and he just he just shook his head <laughs> and remembered it. It was like you, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a, it's a true story and it's just a funny one. Uh, but I guess there's some vulnerability in there, you know, talking about it. So it was great. It was great. So, was Bill, it? before I let you go, thank yeah. you so much for for spending a good portion of your morning talking with me. Now I'm uh, some days I'm okay with saying the socials, but where can people find you on the socials? And is there anything you would like to add? Uh, how about this? First of all, thank you for having me. That was a lot of fun. Oh, you good. Know, and you never know where these are going to go, but this was fun. Good. I love the fact we could play tennis with a bunch of different things and bounce the ideas back and forth over the net. It was really cool. Uh, best place to look is uh, Morrison writes M O R R. I-S-O-N-W-R-I-T-E-S.com. So MorrisonWrites.com. And uh, if anybody uh, is listening and they uh, want to share a marketing story or a marketing thought, I, I just love that stuff. So I'm Bill at MorrisonWrites.com. Send me an email. I'd, I'd love to hear it. it. It really floats my boat that, you know, people... Um, have thoughts or, Hey, I saw this ad, or I'm just about to do this. What do you think about that? And, and I'll definitely respond. That's, that's probably the best place to look in that. And, you know, the books on Amazon, um, lines in the grass, Bill Morrison, and, you know, mm -hmm. certainly um, if they're interested in learning more about what really is behind the decision, yeah. uh, uh, that's, it's a, it's a valuable book for that for sure. Yeah. yeah. When's the course coming out? Cause gee, <laughs> we just, we, didn't we just touched on what what I could pull out you know and thinking okay you know because there's so much behind you know so yeah I'm, I'm looking at this and I thought I could probably have you for six hours asking you about this book so yeah I was thinking when's the course coming out <laughs> you just see Ozzy outside really six hours really? can you get that guy off please I'm being left alone um, so, uh, the, the course is something that, that I've contemplated a great deal. The, the biggest thing for me is I don't want to repeat the book. I want to expand on the book. Okay. So it, it is something I want to do. Uh, and I'm just thinking of ways and, and how can I make it better? Okay. Rather than just repeat, this is not about, I just want to make more money out of my book. I, I want to actually give more, teach more share more so that's definitely uh something i'm considering good that was a kind of a weak answer i'm sorry it's but it's it's something that's really important to me and i don't want to do it unless i can actually add some value okay because you're a good writer and i do hope you pursue oh, writing you. i really do yeah i i do have another book that's started i'm walking you mentioned hockey uh i have been on a hockey team the same men's hockey team for 32 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it's, it's amazing. Um, it's lasted a lot longer than most marriages have So <laughs> on the team. Um, but that said, we travel 
all over the world. So we were we were just in Russia, uh, and we go to we were in Spain and South Africa, and we were in our next plan is to go to China if things calm down. Um, Thailand, we've been everywhere. It's a team. It's a very interesting eclectic group of people. And I want to write the stories because everyone in the dressing room has so much knowledge. And I think it'd be a really interesting approach to present it. And the way it's writing and the way it's flowing right now is a little bit like uh, the wealthy barber. Okay. You know, episodes and experiences shared. And that's the thought. So um, sitting with a different person in the dressing room each game and then talking about where does creativity come from? How do you be a good father? How do you lead a group of people? How, 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 how? And so I'm collecting those stories right now and I want to combine this into uh, another book. Sweet. Okay. Yeah, that's inspiring that you think so. So thank you. Yeah, I'll be watching for it because I follow you on Instagram and yeah, okay. Awesome. Well, Bill, you've kind of answered what's coming next. Thank you so much. I had a blast. And if if you saw me doing this, it's because I'm writing notes. Oh, that's great. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, I guess I'll let you go. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And thank you again. Okay. Bye.